money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News, and it is that time for the Jack McCarty mm. Show. And for people that have ever uh, listened to our show, Christian, and thought, that guy has a screw loose. <laughs> Yesterday, I actually did have a screw loose. Did you? Yeah, we, we just like this little cheap little... Uh, screw that holds the microphone mm-hmm. uh, bracket onto the arm, the flexible arm that, mm-hmm. you know, swings it back and forth. That thing let go, and uh, it just, it, it, it sort of, uh, you know, it was dead. You couldn't, you couldn't put it back. It was stripped or worn out or whatever. So we got a new two-cent screw holding in place this $1,500 microphone. So our fingers are crossed. Well, hang on now. You say two cents. Are you factoring in inflation? Yeah, it had been a one cent screw. Mm, okay, just make. <laughs> just make it's the sure. cheesiest. It's the <laughs> cheapest little thing you've ever seen. You would think for something this expensive, they'd want to hold it up with more, you know, mm-hmm. care. Maybe. I mean, I caught the thing like it was a hand grenade when it let go because I knew how how expensive it was, you know. So, and, you, uh, whoa, whoa, but that's whoa, whoa, what holds on. it in place is this tiny little bolt or screw. So you're saying you caught the mic as it fell or the I did. screw? I did. Oh. No, I caught the I caught the mic. I made like a I made like an you know, infield pop up kind of you know, basket catch with it. I was quite proud like of myself. A, sounds more like a short hop to me. You had to like react yeah. quick. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of a, a kind of a quick reaction, but uh, that's because I you know, I can't afford to replace the mic, so Did you get it on You'd video? Be quick too. No, there's no video. Ah. Oh, we could go viral with that, Jack. Take my word for that. All right. <laughs> Speaking of video, and uh, welcome to our dreadful little show. Yeah, there was a video everybody was circulating this morning, I guess, uh, I guess when President Biden was leaving Poland, he fell up the stairs on Air Force One. But, you know, that that's already been done. Um, I was more interested in the fact that they were doing a photo op with him, and they asked him, somebody asked him about the fact that uh, Putin has um, canceled all of the uh, nuclear treaties and the star treaty and everything and has put his his missiles on alert and they asked him about that and he smirked and said i don't have time to answer so remember how they said trump didn't take foreign policy seriously and he wasn't interested in in policy matters a guy that's posing for a picture and says he doesn't have time to talk about Putin, uh, I mean, that's the problem, really, right? There's never time. There's never time to talk about the balloons. There's never time to talk about uh, East Palestine. There's never time to talk about Afghanistan. There's never time to talk about the borders. And I thought it was interesting, as he was leaving Poland, the dictator of China was arriving in Moscow. They're having a big meeting, Xi and, and Putin. And you know what they're talking about. You know that they're talking about the interplay between how the U.S. is supplying Ukraine and what China wants to do with Taiwan and how you can work that out and how they can help each other with that. And it's fascinating to me, all my life, I heard foreign policy experts say the one thing you never want to do, if you're the U.S., the one thing you never want to do is bring together 
or drive toward one another, Moscow and Beijing. Seems like we're doing that right now. The mayor of Philadelphia was talking about the fact they had a police officer who was uh, shot and killed in the line of duty the other night. And um, the mayor, Jim Kenney, came out to talk about that. And I want to play what he said and and see if this passes the smell test for you. So he is reacting to the, the murder of a Temple University police officer. And here is the mayor of Philadelphia, cut number four. Gun reforms that will protect our city's residents, including the brave men and women who have taken an oath to protect the peace. You can say you back the blue, but if you don't back gun control and gun availability, you don't back the blue. Oh. You owe it to them to do everything oh. we can okay. to stop this. So you cannot say you back the blue unless you are for gun control. Did you get that? So if you got that sticker on your car, the blue stripe, American flag. You can't, you can't have that position unless you are for gun control, which I guess also means, does that mean then that police officers want gun control? That, that law enforcement wants gun control? Now, I, I, I haven't done a survey, but when I think back of all the years that we've ever talked about guns and gun laws on this show, every time, it seems to my, to my recollection, all right, which admittedly is not perfect. I feel like every time a police officer or someone who identified themselves as a police officer called in, they said that they were in favor of the Second Amendment and of people, you know, responsibly defending themselves, defending their homes with a gun. Mayor Kenny says, if you're for the police, you're for gun control, you have to be. So I guess I would ask police officers, is that, is that what you want? Is that, is that how we support you by by supporting gun laws? I, I'm asking sincerely, since that's what he says. 210-599-5555. Um, another thing I saw today about guns, the West Virginia legislature passed campus carry. So if you have a um, concealed carry license, you can carry on campuses. Remember that West Virginia is one of the states that's had a mass shooting, a couple of them on college campuses. I've never really understood the sort of sacred cow of making college campuses a gun-free zone. Are you not an adult when you go to college? Uh, Is college not for adults? Are are colleges not adult places? It's not a preschool. It's not an amusement park. It's not a bouncy house. Why wouldn't you let people who are legal, licensed gun owners carry on a college campus that just seems idiotic to me not even from the debate over whether or not you're for or against open uh, concealed carry or open carry but just if if it's a thing in your state that there's concealed carry or there's open carry it ought to be on college last night on um tucker carlson vivek ramaswamy made it official we we told you a couple of days ago he was going to run for president and he made it official he is the latest declared Republican uh, candidate. And, um, you know, I'm realizing, Don, I didn't send you that. We probably should find uh, a little bit of what he said in his uh, statement. I know we've played some stuff from Vivek before, but if you can, if you can find that, maybe we can play it later in the show. Uh, but he basically, uh, I mean, Tucker Carlson kind of set him up. They, they really like each other. He's on Tucker's show a lot. 
And, and Vivek Ramaswamy is basically a, a, a real long shot in what's probably going to be a crowded field of candidates. It's obviously going to have Trump and DeSantis in it. Um, but he says his big thing is speaking out against uh, wokeism, speaking out against the environmental cult, um, putting China at the top of the geopolitical threat list, not Russia. Uh, he's calling out uh, Biden for not going to Ohio before he went to Ukraine. Vivek Ramaswamy is a guy that's been on my radar for a long time, but I never thought of him as somebody running for president. Uh, he's a very passionate voice for the things he believes in or the things he is against, um, and he's a very effective spokesman uh, for those things. Um, but they're going to come after him, uh, and, and I'll tell you how. Um, first of all, there, there are people already saying, well, with a name like that, I mean, come on, which is stupid. Uh, it really is. I, I don't think that's his problem. Um, I think the problem he's going to have is that they're going to say he has all of these sort of elite or establishment connections. Uh, he was hooked up with the World Economic Forum. At one point, he received a scholarship to go to law school. Uh, from that, he has said that he is against them and what they do and that that scholarship was, uh, you know, like needs-based, not ideologically uh, based. So, But they'll say he's a shill for the World Economic uh, Fund. Uh, they'll say that um, he's too close to Big Pharma, uh, they'll say that he uh, has been involved with, uh, you know, he's a, he's a multi-millionaire. He's worth, I think, half a billion dollars. And I guess my answer to that would be, and I, I'm not endorsing him. I'm not. I'm, a, I'm asking you on the JR poll today how you feel about him, but I'm not endorsing him. I would just point out, so you'll hear this stuff about him, but I think you got to remember that everybody running for president, including Donald Trump, is connected to and part of elite circles. And if those are sins for Vivek Ramaswamy, then they should have been sins for Donald Trump. He donated to Kamala Harris. He donated to Chuck Schumer. He gave more money to Chuck Schumer than any political candidate, Democrat or Republican, over the course of his private life. Donald Trump did. He was a guest at Chelsea Clinton's wedding. He had, he had a lot of associations that are very much like the ones that Ramaswamy has. So if those are your standards and you didn't apply them to Trump, you sort of can't now apply them uh, to Ramaswamy. I, I think his candidate his candidacy is pointless. Uh, I, other than he may make the debates interesting and raise some good issues, he, he seems like he'll be kind of a kind of a Steve Forbes, uh, Andrew Yang ideas guy, but not a guy that will get very far in the polls. Maybe I'm wrong, and we'll see. But he's running, and we're asking you about him on the JR poll today. I know we've talked about South Park before, and a lot of people are not fans of South Park and, and find it very crass and and uh, crude. Um, the thing about South Park, though, that you got to give them is they're always right over the target. You know, I mean, they were years ahead of skewering with, I would say, real creativity. Uh, the stuff that we're dealing with today, like. Um, you know, some of this uh, climate hypocrisy and uh, the transgender thing. And now they're in the news. The South Park uh, creators are in the news because they are mocking Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Apparently they've done a uh, 
an episode mocking a fictional couple that is based on them and looks just like them and is promoting a new book just like he is. And um, it, I mean, it, it pulls out all the stops. It makes fun of their wanting privacy while doing a book tour. It makes fun of how uh, vacuous they are. And um, apparently uh, Harry and Meghan's people are trying to, or considering, I guess, suing South Park, which, of course, is the worst thing you could possibly do. If, you, if you're the target of South Park, you have to just take that. You, you, you don't win that. I'm a little disappointed in South Park, though. I'm a little disappointed. I'm a, as a fan of South Park, and I know most of you are not, I'm a little disappointed that they would even bother with Harry and Meghan. It's too easy. They're not worthy of the attention. Like, South Park, you're too good for these two. That's my take on it. I, just the opposite. I, mean, I don't think it's offensive that they're uh, belittling them, and if I saw the episode, I'd probably find it funny. I just don't think they're important enough. We have bigger fish to fry uh, than uh, Harry and Meghan, but uh, they're they're very apparently they're very put out by it and annoyed and uh, considering their they're considering their legal options because you know they just want to be left alone they they don't want to do anything that puts them in the news. <clears throat> Jack Riccardi, late afternoon show. Happy uh, Ash Wednesday to you if you're celebrating Ash Wednesday. Uh, we've got the Jack Riccardi just a minute uh, video. Um, up about that at KTSA.com. All right, so here's the guy who's now running for president as a Republican, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, announcing that uh, on Tucker Carlson's show last night, cut number 10. I mean, we are in the middle of this national identity crisis, Tucker, where we have celebrated our diversity and our differences for so long that we forgot all of the ways we're really just the same as Americans, bound by a common set of ideals that set this nation into motion 250 years ago. And that's why I'm proud to say tonight that I am running for United States president to revive those ideals in this country, those basic rules of the road, meritocracy, the idea that you get ahead in this country, not on the color of your skin, but on the content of your character, the idea that you are allowed to speak freely, yes, to be wrong sometimes, as long as your neighbor gets the same courtesy in return, the idea that the people who we elect to run the government, by the way, are the people who actually run the government. Basic rules of the road, these are the things that bind us together. You and I have different shades of melanin, you know what I say? So what? That's not beautiful, that is not our strength. Our diversity is meaningless if there's nothing greater that binds us together across that diversity. And the reason that I'm running for president is to revive those ideals, and I believe deep in my bones they still exist, that most Americans mm. still believe in them, but we need to rediscover that, and the only way we can do it is by start to talking openly. Start talking openly again. So he, I never heard anyone refer to it as the United States presidency, but okay. Anyway, um, he he did something different in, in, in announcing it on a on a talk show versus like usually candidates have like a staged event in their hometown or in some sort of symbolic place. Uh, but he's he's a different kind of candidate. Uh, what do you think of him? Uh, would you consider voting for him? Could he is he a, is he a maybe for you or a a yes or a definitely not or you just don't know anything about him? Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. That's our question on the JR poll. Yes, no, maybe. Who? <laughs> you know, I was thinking about it today. If you take every one of those sentences that he just rattled off, and you were to express it as a single standalone sentence. I agree with every sentence that he said. 
I don't know if it holds together as a paragraph or a speech. Like it, it's an interesting commentary, but I'm not sure what the vision is. And maybe I'm old fashioned. Maybe people just go for quick hit impressions, but I kind of want to know that you, that you have some kind of vision for uh, or 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 idea of a movement you would like to lead. I'm a little worried that people running for president these days, I hear this a lot with Nikki Haley, they just sound like they're trying to be everything to everyone. I mean, that's Nikki Haley in a nutshell, right? If you listen to her, she's making everybody happy. She's a candidate for everyone. And then that means you're really for nothing, you know? Um, if you have a vision... It's going to tick some people off. You got to call some stuff out. And so I don't know. Um, I like what he says. I think he's a smart guy. I would love whoever becomes president to, to, to appoint him and listen to him. I think he's a smart thinker. I, I don't know about a president, but you tell me. We're going to talk about that. Um, I asked the question if you're a police officer or you're in law enforcement, are you for gun control? I never have heard a caller to this show, say both, that he or she is in law enforcement and at the same time, we really need to crack down on these guns. And yet that's what the mayor of Philadelphia is saying in the wake of of a police officer being killed there. He's saying you can't be backing the blue unless you're backing gun control. And here's an email from PE to jack at ktsa.com. I'm a retired police officer, Jack, life member of the NRA, enthusiastic supporter of the Second Amendment. Our problem is not coming, he writes, from law-abiding citizens exercising their Second Amendment rights. It's coming from lawbreakers intent on exercising their need for violence, crime, and chaos. Most officers I know, he says, feel the same way. Anyone who says citizens have to support gun control in order to support the thin blue line is full of crap. Writes P.E. Um, yeah, I, I'd have never heard that. That uh, I think that's a, a stretch. But th- they'll say anything in the justification of, of gun control. You know, politicians that have never gone to church will suddenly say that's what Jesus would do. And politicians <laughs> that have tried to defund the police will now say, oh, but it's a very pro-police position to have gun laws. And they'll just say anything. Do it for the children. Uh, if you're if you're not with us, it means you want children to die. You've got the blood of the children on your hand. You know they'll just say anything. But I thought we would kind of throw that out there because there's a few people in the audience that are in law enforcement. And maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are uh, people that wear the uniform, wear the carry the badge, wear the ba- but who want gun control. I've just never heard it, or I can never remember hearing it. Uh, two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Uh, where are you on Vivek Ramaswamy running for president? He's declared he's a candidate. I, you know what words I think are are uh, a red flag for me with candidates, all candidates, any candidate, anywhere at any level. When people say he or she has a great story, have you ever heard that? They'll talk about somebody who's either running or rumored to be considered running, and they'll say. He or she has a great story. I don't think that has anything to do with what makes you um, a leader or uh, in leading us out of this hole that we're in. A great story is a great story. That's it. That's all it is. And what you have to have is a vision 
And you have to have a vision that is um, tough. And you'll know it's tough if not everybody likes it. You'll know it's tough if people are so afraid of it that they're calling you all kinds of terrible names and you're just horrible. If the worst thing that's being said about you is Don Lemon says you're past your prime, you're not really, that doesn't sound like an impactful leader to me. Like, oh, wow, she lost Don Lemon. You know, that's just not. But see, they say that about Nikki Haley. Oh, she has a great story. I, I'm not against great stories. Just that doesn't make you president, in my opinion. 210-599-5555. So remember the other day we talked about a radio host in Boston who had told a joke um, where he observed a couple of guys sitting behind his co-host who was in another city, and there was a video link up. And jokingly, this guy, his name is Tony Maserati. He's on um, the Sports Hub in Boston. Uh, he said, um, hey, the last time you were around a couple of guys like that, you got your car stolen. And then he issued this abject apology that sounded like a hostage tape. And he, he went on and on about how he's not a racist and he's on the side of good and right. And what do you suppose happened to Tony Maserati? I, I, I'll give you a guess. Go ahead. What do you think? What do you think happened? It, it didn't work. It didn't work. He has now been suspended without pay indefinitely. Uh, they announced on his radio show last night. You can't apologize. You just can't. Like I said, if you do live radio, you are going to say things that are not, that, that don't land well or don't come out the way you wanted them to. But you, in this climate, you can't apologize. And you also can't go around proclaiming that you are not a racist. It just doesn't mean anything to the people that are trying to take you down. You realize what brought him down, the two guys that he talked about had nothing to do with this story. I'm not sure they even know he was referring to them. What brought him down was an activist group, I forget the name of it, and there's groups like this all over the country, and they listen to talk radio and they record hour after hour after hour of different hosts. There's probably somebody recording this show. And then they go back to see if they can find something to write an article about it or to uh, start a boycott about it. I mean, that's what you're up against. So if that's what's going on and you know it, and this guy's a, a, a radio veteran, it doesn't help to apologize. It doesn't help to declare yourself not a racist. I don't, I, I don't know when people are going to figure this out. Um, but it, it's it's a game, and if you go into it with great earnestness and sincerity, and I'm just trying to, you've already lost. He had no, he had nothing to apologize for. He did not say anything racist. People put a racist spin on it or took it in a particular way. He he didn't say anything. If he had said, uh. Oh, look, a couple of, you know, black guys that are going to steal your car, or if he had said, you know, that's a different story. You know, if you make an overtly racist comment, you're going down. 
if you if you say something that is a, a, a racial uh, slur, you're going down. He didn't do that, but he apologized. And I left the door open. Let me show you how this game is played. Over the weekend, on ESPN, the the TV ESPN, there was an anchor. His name is Randy Scott, and he was anchoring their basketball coverage. And let me play first for you a clip of him that has gone viral and where he is called out for being insensitive in what he says. And then we'll play the whole thing so you can see what he was really talking about. But this is, this is the clip that went viral. They tried to take him down. Cut number one. Just 25 or more in four of her last five. Miller and Maryland. 66-61 winners. It's their fourth straight win. Let's get back to the actual basketball there in Ann Arbor. Joey Hauser. So he was narrating women's basketball highlights. He was showing some some highlights from a women's basketball game. I think it was Michigan and Maryland or something like that. And then he says, let's get back to actual basketball. And people were horrified. What are you saying? That only men's basketball is actual basketball. No way. What a misogynist. What a, and you, and you gotta ask yourself, this is a very young guy. He's, he's not a, an opinion host. He's just a, a, an anchor on weekends on Sports Center. Does it sound to you like that would be a hotbed of misogyny? You know. So he fortunately got wind of how he was going viral and made sure that the, whole segment was available for people to hear. Now, again, what he was doing was trans, uh, you know, sort of voiceovering some highlights from a woman's game and then a men's game. But listen to the whole thing to hear how it really went. Cut number two. And a touch of normalcy to end a week of tragedy for Michigan State, both the men's and women's basketball teams playing their first games since Monday's shooting on campus where a gunman killed three people and wounded five others. The Spartans men's team was actually in Ann Arbor last night where a normally bitter rivalry was put aside in the name of healing and support. Both teams observing a moment of silence in an arena that was bathed in green lights before the Michigan band played Michigan State's alma mater. Let's get to the combined situation between these two teams. A banner there in the student section reading a Spartan strong at the Chrysler Center. Again, showing love. Tom Izzo visibly emotional in enemy territory, but you could see the entire state coming together in support of those Spartans. And the women's program holding down the fort there in East Lansing, taking on eighth-ranked Maryland. And Iseline Alexander going to spin, make a layup inside. Michigan State uh, cutting the deficit to just six, but Diamond Miller was too much. 29 points. She has 25 or more in four of her last five. Miller and Maryland, 66-61 winners. It's their fourth straight win. Let's get back to the actual basketball there in Ann Arbor, Joey Hauser. So, you know, they went from a piece where they were talking about the memorial and the and the paying tribute. Let's get back to the basketball. That's it. And he he tweeted it out and he captioned it, "Nice try." But that's what's going on. That's the that's the cancel culture. By the way, Rolling Stone has an article entitled, Why Cancel Culture is Good for Democracy. Imagine making that argument that cancel culture is good for democracy. 
And it, what it tries to argue is that cancel culture uh, is a is a feature or a, um, a facet of a free country. That when people are canceling you, they're just exercising their free speech, right? Cancel culture is free speech. Uh, the author writes, it feels new today because of digital platforms we have at our disposal. Previous generations were canceling, but the road to accountability was paved with many barriers. So he's saying it's much easier and faster to cancel somebody now. Well, that's true, but that doesn't mean it's better for democracy or for free speech. He says, those who fear cancel culture may claim they fear suppression of speech, but it's accountability they want to avoid. Now, to me, the thing about cancel culture that's so interesting is people always act like they're making a moral point. Like the people that were attacking this ESPN guy were, were defending women and women's sports. Well, what's the real threat to women's sports right now? Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not some dude on ESPN. It's some dude in the women's locker room. It's some dude in the women's track meet. It's some dude in the pool in the lane next to the actual women's swimmers. So it's fake virtue signaling. It's it's not the real deal. The other problem, I think, with cancel culture is if you are saying that somebody has erred, has made a mistake, has come up short, where is the opportunity for redemption? Redemption is not only a gracious interaction between two human beings, but redemption is also educational. When we see somebody learn from their mistake and repair their mistake, it lifts up all of us. It's, it's, it's healthy. But see, cancel culture doesn't have a, a place for redemption. With cancel culture, you're done, you're gone. You've got to be let go. You've got to be silenced. We can never hear from you again. And we go after not only the person who said or did the offensive thing, whatever it is, but then we have to go to all the people that supported him or tweeted out support for him or stood by him or they got to go too. So it, it not only has um, no room for redemption, but it, it has all this sort of lust for additional bodies and additional victims. There is no way that it's good for democracy or good for free speech. And then the writer in Rolling Stone says, cancel culture has given a voice to the voiceless. I don't know who the voiceless are anymore. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but people come out of nowhere and have 600,000 followers on social media or make a TikTok that's seen by half a million people. So who, who exactly are the voiceless? If anything, what's happening now is there are the nameless who have a voice but hide behind some, you know, Twitter handle. And I've, I've experienced this, and I think everybody in media has experienced this, where somebody has a, a hair up their ass about you, and they're going after you, they're going after your, your family, they're going after your livelihood, they're going after your employer, they're going after your advertisers, but you don't even know who they are. And they make sure you don't. And one other thing about cancel culture that this writer forgets to mention, I guess, in his 4,000-word article, he didn't have time for this, is that cancel culture is a kind of um, hit job. So think about all the times you've seen somebody um, set upon by the mob. 
And the argument is always this person has offended this group of people, this race of people, this gender of people, this whatever, this group. Uh, we're, we're fighting for this group because this man or this woman has written something or said something hurtful. But you notice that it's always just a couple of people or a very small number of people. But they have appointed themselves the spokesman for an entire race, which is millions of people. Or they've appointed themselves the spokesman for all women, which is tens of millions of people. Now, when where was the election? Right? Like who who chose this person or this cadre of people to be the representatives? Who who in the in the in the universe of women? Of the universe of Latino people. So we've, we've held an election. We've decided this spokesman is our spokesman. What that, whatever they say, that goes for all of us. Never happened, right? They're self-appointed. So they, they're not voiceless, but they are baseless in that they don't actually have a claim. And, and, and we, we in the media, we fall into this trap all the time. And I include myself in this and I, I, I hate that we do it. But we will, we will start discussing a controversy as if lots and lots of people in a racial group or any other group all feel a certain way about a certain thing when really it's just a few people making noise. And we don't actually know and we don't have any reason to assume that a large number, let alone a majority of the people they claim to represent actually have that grievance. I mean, the, the the guy in Boston, we don't we don't have any basis for knowing if there's any plurality of African American listeners in his audience or in his city who were offended by that. There was no time taken to even find out or wait and see. Not nothing. And by the way, the group that targeted him are white liberals. That's how this works. That's how it almost worked on that ESPN guy. It's been two or three weeks since the train derailment in Palestine, Ohio, right? Yeah. I mean, that was like beginning of February, wasn't it? It was early this month, yeah. I don't have the date in front of me, but yeah, that's right. So, pretty incredible that the only presidential candidate to go there is Donald Trump. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. Again, and I think you would agree with me on this, it's not that when celebs and VIPs show up at disaster sites, it makes things better, it actually makes it worse, but, but at least... We've got this idea now that that's how you show you care. That's how you signal that this is important to you. So whether that's a good rule or not, those are the rules. And it, it, it's interesting to me that he'd be the only one to say, I, I got to get over there. You mm-hmm. know, and he did. He went there today. And it makes sense because th- this is the, and, and I know you spent some time in Arkansas, so you can attest to this. This is the part of the country, this middle part of the country is where his whole movement started, where people felt that neither party knew they were there. They were referred to as flyover country. I mean, if any place is called that, it's Arkansas, right? And I mean, this is these are the people that got him started. So it's kind of symmetrical that he would be there, uh, you know, today. Yeah, and you can already hear, as far as Trump is concerned, you can, you can hear some accusing him just of, you know, it's a, it's a political stunt. Oh yeah, yeah, but. It may be, but it's it, he knows his he knows his symbolism. Well, I distinctly remember it was either the Tuscaloosa tornado or the Joplin tornado, maybe both. Obama showed up. 
Oh, yeah, I'm not saying they, I, I mean, they go to disasters. But I, it's, I get that. But I'm agreeing with you. It's peculiar that something this large uh, that mm-hmm. has the, the effects that this still has several weeks later now, and that's mm-hmm. not to compare it to an EF5 wiping out a city with, with a lot of you know casualties and so forth, but it's significant. And it is curious as to the, now the EPA has been there, and of course city mm-hmm. officials and state officials, but, mm-hmm. uh, no Biden, uh, I think Buttigieg is not there till tomorrow. He's transportation secretary. Oh, yeah. It yeah. just seems like a, seems you think like he could transport himself over there? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's I, a little slow, you know? I, um, I, again, I'm not, I'm not, making a an endorsement or making some sort i'm not trying to i'm not trying to put an imprimatur on it i'm just i find it very interesting that almost eight years after he showed both political parties what power there is in the forgotten americans a lot of them are still forgotten mm-hmm. yeah and and there he is so you know they they can laugh at him and they can they can call him orange man and a buffoon and all that but that's probably and, and I agree with you it may be political but that's probably the savviest political thing I've seen anybody do this week I'm glad you because I thought earlier today is I was surprised he wasn't there last week yeah um, yeah he yeah. could have gone even sooner but mm-hmm. I, I you know all these people that supposedly know politics more and are better at it yeah well look who's there and look who isn't so yeah we're talking about cancel culture before the news and I. I, I'm curious, do you buy the argument that Rolling, and I know Rolling Stone magazine is kind of a shell of itself. When I was, when I was a kid, I wished I had the money to subscribe. It was a cool magazine. It was about rock and roll. Uh, now it's kind of a tired political, you know, hand wringer. But, um, I mean, I, I think I, I think they lost me when they put the, the Boston Marathon bomber on their cover and described him as a tousle headed heartthrob. But anyway, um, this argument that cancel culture is just free speech, it's just, you know, the, the give and take. It's, hey, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. It's, it's what we're all about. Um, is, I think, a kind of desperate argument. Maybe you disagree, and we can talk about that. 210-599-5555. So you know how it works, right? Somebody says or does something, and, um, it, it is an opportunity for someone to be offended. Or to claim offense on behalf of others. Because we have this thing now where, well, I'm not offended, but I'm offended on behalf of what you said about Native Americans or about black people or about women or about. So then we, we have these calls for this person to be removed, fired, silenced. And it isn't. I'd like to I'd like to debate them. It isn't hey, I'd like to challenge them to prove what they said or I'd like to confront them with what they said. There's no there's no confronting. See to me the beauty of free speech would be just those things, right? Like, hey, let's let's mix it up. It's always done from behind a name or an anonymous Twitter handle or so you can't really get to whoever is trying to get you, but you know they're, you know they're doing it. And then a lot of times your company, your organization, what have you, your political party, they give in because they've decided that you're not worth what it would cost to defend you. And, and they probably don't think you're wrong, but you're not so right that they want to have that fight. That is not free speech. That is mob rule. 
And mob rule is very specifically what our country was designed to not be about. I mean, if you know anything about the founding, you know that what they were trying very hard not to do was what was happening in France at the same time as we were having the American Revolution. They were having mob rule. They were dragging people out of palaces and cutting their heads off and and hanging them from trees. And the idea here was we're not going to let the people that have the loudest voice or the most energy or the best organizing capabilities uh, run this thing. We're going to spread the power out. We're going to have states that are largely autonomous. We're going to have um, a republic, not a direct democracy. We're going to have the electoral college. We're going to have se- separation of powers and checks and balances between the branches. A- and to me, if you think cancel culture is a beautiful part of democracy, then you, you don't know what we're doing here. I mean, that just you don't get it. And mob rule is always good until you're the target of it. Boy, do people change their tune in a hurry when it comes for them. And we've seen a lot of that. We've seen people numerous times in recent years come out and say, you know, I didn't realize how dangerous this was until they came for me or they, or they came from somebody I, you know, came for somebody I care about. And uh, it, it makes believers out of people, albeit belatedly. Uh, what do you think about that? 210-599-5555. Is cancel culture just like free speech? Or is it inherently the enemy of free speech and our principles. By the way, it it also makes mistakes. Now, you take the guy on ESPN. How many people heard that and said, well, here's a guy on a sports channel, you know, belittling women's sports, which, by the way, even if he had done that, is not the end of the world. But... How many people, because they wanted to believe that was true, took that little out-of-context clip and ran with it and retweeted it? And so this rush to judgment, this rush to get people fired, does not allow for the time or the fact-checking to see if you're even right. And I'm not saying this of most people, but I think there are some people that don't even care if they are right or wrong. They just like the feel of it. I mean, canceling somebody is, is heady stuff. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's kind of seductive. It's kind of, um, arousing. There's some, when mobs form, people who've studied this say there is a, a kind of animal, intensity and excitement inside a mob that later on the individuals will uh, admit kind of came over them or, or overtook them. And people will do things. Have you ever seen a mob of people where people are doing things that you know they would not do individually? One person would not set a police car on fire. One person would not throw a trash barrel through a plate glass window of a coffee shop. But see, when you're in that group and everybody's egging everybody on, People that would never do it alone are now doing it and loving it and feeling great about it. And that, to me, is what the cancel culture is. It's, it's, it's a virtual mob or virtual riot directed at somebody you disagree with. Friday, we'll be kicking off the weekend with The Dish. We'll talk restaurants in our 6 o'clock hour on Friday night, kicking into the weekend. Uh, right now, you can join the show 210 
599-5555. You can also email me. It comes directly to me, jack at ktsa.com. What do you think about um, Donald Trump going to East Palestine, Ohio? Uh, he visited there today. People came out to see him. Um, he challenged uh, President Biden to get there, to, to be there, should have already been there. Um, you know, I, I'm not a fan of the uh, politicians showing up at disaster sites way of, I, I, I guess it's like, it's, it's, the, it's the fashion, it's the way that you show you care. Um, because the reality is that anytime people like that go to a disaster site, it is at best a wash, and it may even be a negative in that it may take police resources or other things away from the people that are actually dealing with the disaster or the crisis, the suffering, what have you. Um, but, but I have to say, for a guy who came out of nowhere in 2015, uh, ran right past the elites of both parties and won the presidency. He is showing that they didn't learn anything from him. Now, Christian made a good point. He, he could have gone there sooner. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe he could have, but it tells you something that all of these genius politicians, all these people that supposedly know how this game is played and are the, the real deal, and they've got all the experience, and he's just a buffoon, he's Orange Hitler. You know, w- funny how none of them could get their butts over there. I'm not talking about the governor of Ohio, because A, he's not running for president, and B, it's his state. I'm talking about all these other people. Biden, his cabinet, Kamala Harris, uh, you know, the, the other perspective i mean there's people that haven't declared they're running for president but obviously are like mike pompeo and mike pence and nick well nikki haley has declared i mean it just it kind of makes you wonder right i'm not saying it's the biggest thing in the world or it's the most important thing they could do but he's he's no dummy he knows those are the americans who crossed party lines or voted for the first time ever in 2016 for him he knows that his message of, hey, they forgot about you, they gave up on you, they moved your jobs so, you know, to overseas or to Mexico, th- these are those people. And if you'd asked me after 2016, I'd have said, well, now that he's shown the power of that, you can expect to see a lot of politicians tapping into that. That's what I would have thought. Well, I guess I would have thought wrong, because they're not. He is, but they're not. Uh, what do you think of his visit? 210-599-5555. Uh, what do you think about Vivek Ramaswamy? Sounds like a guy with a lot of good in ideas and insights. I, I, I'm, not hearing a, I'm not hearing a president yet. But, you know, welcome to the party. And, you know, um, the more the merrier. And I, I do think people like him make the candidate debates more interesting because if if he did nothing else if he got into a republican debate let's say there's several of them up on stage uh, you can be sure he's going to bring some stuff up that the others would not and you know that's what andrew yang did for the democrats uh last time that's what um you know going way back people like steve forbes did uh when he ran for president uh so i'm good with that 
And that may be the role that he plays. That may be what really is going on here. 210-599-5555. That's the JR poll. We were talking about cancel culture and how you feel about that. Uh, Rolling Stone is making the argument that it's, it's a symptom of democracy. I think it's actually damaging to our democracy. It, it actually is, I guess you could say, it's a symptom of the traditional definition of democracy because an actual democracy would be you know rule of the majority and and it would be it would essentially be mob rule if you're going to put it bluntly because in a true democracy you wouldn't have rights unless a majority agreed to grant them to you and then those wouldn't be rights at all because they could be taken away on a whim so you'd have to get a majority of people to like you or whatever it is you wanted to do or be. And then you'd have to keep them liking you. You have to stay on their good side. The beauty of our system is that you have rights that have nothing to do with how popular or unpopular you are. So you could belong to a religion that has very few members and still have religious rights. Or you can have a political point of view that is very fringy and unpopular, but you you still have the right to say it. I like that better. <laughs> I don't know about you. 210-599-5555. And it's, it's, it's interesting to me because sitting where I sit, I get a lot of pitches, emails, and things from different groups, and it's always people that claim they speak for an entire population. You know, interview Joe Smith here because... He'll tell you how all African-American doctors feel about this issue. Or interview this woman because she'll tell you how all LGBTQ teachers feel about this issue. But whenever I see those things, I know that's not really true. That's just somebody claiming to have that that uh, representation. I, I mean, I'm Catholic. I don't speak for all Catholics. I'm Italian-American. I don't speak for all Italians. I'm, you know, a guy. I don't speak for all guys. And if I said I did, you would shake your head at the radio. You know that's not true. But we're having a lot of fights and issues where the combatants really don't represent who they claim to represent. Uh, what do you look for in a presidential candidate? And um, are you hearing it in Vivek Ramaswamy, who on the Tucker Carlson show last night announced he's uh, actually going to run uh, for the Republican nomination, he's a multimillionaire, uh, investment guy, uh, has started, uh, companies and sold them for a lot of money. Uh, he's very outspoken on the cancel culture, uh, on, um, the, the whole kind of issue of, uh, fetishizing diversity. It's interesting to hear people say, because I think we needed to hear it for a long time, that no, diversity is actually not our strength. Diversity is only possible if we have the strength of things we share in common. So we can be a melting pot or a mosaic or whatever you want to call America as long as there are things we all agree on. That's a very old idea. That is something that um, at one time would have been indisputable, not debatable, there have to be some things you buy into to be part of this. And then you can be whoever you want to be, but, but there are some things you have to buy into. 
when we first started getting immigration in, in, in a big way in the 19th century, they called it naturalization or Americanization. They invented it because no other country had ever built itself up on the basis of being all immigrant. And then later on, it, 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 it changed a little and it went by some different names, but well into the 20th century, we still believed in ourselves and we had confidence in the idea of what I just said that it, you have to, you have to buy in. The rock star Bono, who's not an American, uh, by birth, but is a great admirer of America, has famously said, America is not a country, it's an idea. That's exactly right. Other countries are countries because everybody there has the same, you know, strain or DNA or they came up the same way. They all know the same things. We, we're not that way. You don't, you don't find us to be a country of people who are all one ethnicity or all one experience. But that diversity only works and it only has worked up to this point because there are things that we, we've agreed to buy into. So I, I like hearing him say that, Vivek Ramaswamy. I, I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's a candidacy for the presidency or if that's just a prescription for what ails us, you know. So, but what do you think about him? 210-599-5555. And, and, you know, I, I think in a way, although I, I don't know how he feels about Donald Trump, but I think in a way his candidacy probably is possible because of Trump. You know, when people say, well, how can this guy run for president? He's a businessman. He's never held political office. Hello? You're going to see more of that. And it's kind of a wonder we haven't before now, I think. What do you look for? What, what do you want to hear from a presidential candidate? I, I don't mean the one you support. I mean, if I told you I was going to run for president or if I presented you somebody what is it you need them to tell you? Do you need a record? Like, do you, do you need a record of accomplishment? Well, I did this, I did this, I did this. That's a resume. Maybe that's what you're looking for. Or are you looking for somebody that has very specific, like, proposals? Here's exactly what I'm going to do about Social Security and Medicare. Here's exactly what I'm going to do about China. Here's exactly what I'm going to do about the border. Or do you want somebody that, um, you can relate to. That's what the media tell us you want. Uh, you, you want somebody that you feel like you'd like to know them as a person. You know, you'd like to have a beer with them. I don't think Vivek Ramaswamy seems like a guy you'd want to have a beer with. I don't know. <laughs> I'm getting that vibe from him. 210-599-5555. And we've talked about, um, among many other things, uh, on the, uh, on the show today, we were talking about the cancel culture. Now, um, it's interesting to me lately, there's been a lot of videos uh, and social media posts, TikToks and things like that, of transgender people outing those that have misgendered them. That's the word. So these are people who are biologically one thing but identify as another or started out one way and now identify as the other or another. And they're mad because someone used the wrong pronouns or called them sir. And they go after 
TSA agents and waiters, and they go after their coworkers and teachers. Uh, call out their their pupils for misgendering them. They're very angry. They're tearful. They want they want firings. They want pain. And I was thinking about this today because I have nothing against anyone who identifies or feels like they're the sex opposite their biological assignment. I I don't I don't I don't believe it. But if that's how they want to live, I, I'm a live and let live guy. It's none of my business. Unless you make it my business. See, if this was just about tolerance, we'd be good. If this was just, hey, just let me be the way I want to be and you be the way you want to be, I'm good with that. That's kind of my thing across the board. But when you're demanding that everyone around you change so that you feel better about yourself, that's different. That's not tolerance. That's not just, hey, I'm just trying to get by in the world. Just let me be. I just want to be happy. That's not what that is. When you're demanding that other people read your mind, or just by looking at you, they should correctly guess your gender identity. Because sometimes it's not apparent. Then it's not live and let live. It's, it's, it's a kind of performing victimhood. And it's, and it's, and it's sort of cultish. You know, the demands keep changing and getting higher. We want this. We demand that. They target people who don't give them what they want. So I can remember, and maybe you can too, a time when you probably didn't give transgender people a second thought or the, the issue a second thought. You just didn't think about it. It was, it wasn't on your radar. It wasn't something you needed to think about. And you just minded your own business. Maybe you even wished them well. I do. I mean, everybody has something that they struggle with, or only they understand. I think most of us felt that way at one time, right? It's it's when this sort of crusade came for you, when they picked the fight with you, when the day came that you were called out for misgendering or, or getting a pronoun wrong, and I think a lot of those mistakes are made with with no ill intentions. I think people just guess wrong. Seen, I've seen it happen. So I think it's very few people picking a fight on behalf of a lot of transgender people who maybe don't want that fight, maybe haven't chosen that fight. I don't think this is representative of most of them. And they're picking that fight with everyone, which doesn't seem like a very smart thing to do, I think. And that's kind of where we were going before with the whole cancel culture and mob rule. It's always these self-appointed mouthpieces. It's people who try to be more powerful than they really are by claiming they speak for way more people than they really do. And people in my line of work We've got to start getting that right. We've got to start, whether it's television, radio, whatever. We've got to stop letting self-appointed ambassadors uh, declare war on behalf of people that probably don't want the war. Now, I've said this before, and, and, and I believe it. 
I don't think most LGBTQ people are militant. I don't think they're 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 wanting a fight. I don't think they they're hostile towards straight people. I don't think they I don't think they refer to us as breeders or whatever. I don't I don't think any of that is true. But if you were to listen to those that claim to be the 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 leaders or the voices of the community, that they would tell you it is, and that everybody who's LGB wants what they what they want. I don't think that's true. I don't think it's true of any of these groups. So as you probably know, there's a grand jury in Georgia that's investigating uh, the Trump campaign and Donald Trump in terms of whether or not there was um, interference in the 2020 election. And remember the allegations that Trump was uh, pressuring state officials to find him votes and things of that nature. So that grand jury has not yet revealed its indictments, and it is still um, impaneled or at work. Uh, or I should say not impaneled, but it is still in existence. Let's put it that way. The forewoman of the jury is making the rounds um, and doing um, uh, interviews. Her name is Emily Kors, I think is how you say her name. And I, I know you know where I'm going with this if you've seen her, but if you haven't seen Emily Kors yet, she's been all over cable, and it is... Fairly remarkable, this is the four-person or four-woman or foreman or whatever of a jury doing a case this major. So here, for example, is uh, her reaction to uh, possibly getting to swear in Donald Trump for, um, for testimony, cut number seven personally want to hear from the former president. I wanted to hear from the former president, but honestly, I kind of wanted to subpoena the former president because I got to swear everybody in. And so I thought it'd be really cool to get 60 seconds with President Trump of me looking at him and being like, do you solemnly swear? And me getting to swear him in? I just, I kind of just thought that would be an awesome moment. Um, I, I can't tell what her deal is. Is she like a fangirl or she just like would love to confront him or i've never i've never heard a a person on a jury or who's done jury service talk this way and do these interviews and she's like drunk on them and she's like doing them all over the place and they each one is more giddy and giggly uh than the one before it here's another uh example of the georgia jury foreman cut number eight there are indictments recommended of course is it more than 12 people is it more than 20 people I think if you look at the page numbers of the report, there's about six pages in the middle that got cut out. Allow for spacing. It's not a short list. Not a short list. <laughs> More, I mean, when it comes to 75 witnesses, like, is it, it's not, I assume, of course, it's right. not 75 people. Would you characterize it as 20-ish people? I can't say I counted. <laughs> More than a dozen, though, I think I heard you say in another interview. I believe so. That's probably a good assumption. The name that everyone wants to know about is former President Trump. Of course. Did you recommend charges against Donald Trump? I really don't want to share something that the judge made a conscious decision not to share. I I will tell you that it was a process where we heard his name a lot. Uh, We definitely heard a lot about former President Trump, and we definitely discussed him a lot in the room. And I will say that uh, when this list comes out, you wouldn't, 
There are no major plot twists waiting for you. It's it's just it's like it's like we're making her up. It's like this is a Saturday Night Live sketch. This is the actual Jerry Foreman. I don't know how old she is. She seems to be like in her maybe mid to late twenties. And I'm not sure how like on television and in movies the jury picks its four person or foreman, right? Did they pick her? Who else is on that jury? What's it, it, what's it like the Mickey Mouse Club? I mean. This was who they chose. Is the, this will be our representative? This will be our leader. And I guess the, pardon the pun, the jury is out. I, I, some lawyers I've seen interviewed say that this is bad for the case, undermining the case, and then others say no, it it has nothing to do with that. It doesn't do anything. But she's doing all these interviews: CNN, NBC, Atlanta Journal, Constitution, New York Times, and just kind of giggling and batting her eyelashes and just having a good time. I don't know. It's very weird to me. Trump is a lucky guy. You know, he, I, I don't know if he did anything wrong or not, but every time they go after him, he has the good fortune. Have you noticed this? His, um, persecutors are always just cray cray. You know, like how do you get so lucky that the people going after you in Congress are people like Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell and, Jamie Raskin. I mean, these are not serious people, right? And, 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 I mean, of all the people you could draw, you draw these kind of weird, quirky, funky, and, and it's every time, right? He may have done nothing wrong, or he may be guilty of sin, but he is a lucky dude because the people that come after him are like the lowest hanging fruit, and here you see it again. And And I'll tell you how I know this. The, the people that hate Trump the most are begging this woman to shut up. They were talking about her on The View. <laughs> they were like beside themselves over how much she is talking and looking for attention. And they said she's like a Kardashian, which I think is an insult to the Kardashians, to be honest, from what I know of them. Um, but yeah, she's just, she's out there just having a good old time. This is, just, this is a, like a blood sport to people. I mean, it really is when you get right down to it. And maybe, maybe we should admire Emily Kors because in a way she's just having fun with this, which means she somehow doesn't think or want us to think that it is more than that. Like so many of the others do. Oh, we're defending democracy and democracy hangs in the balance. And this, this, this girl's like, I, I just think it's cool to meet Donald Trump. I noticed the, uh, the challenge for me on Ash Wednesday is trying to keep the ashes on all day because you, 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 you don't realize how much you touch your own face and just, you know, wipe your brow and sweep your... So anyway, I've been trying to not wipe them off. I've had them on since 10 o'clock. Most of them are still there. But then I was thinking about the people on television because you'll see, like, anchors and TV hosts and so forth who are Catholic or Christian and they have the ash, the, the cross of ashes on their forehead. Um... How do they get makeup on and not cover that up? See, this is why I did radio. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't know. I knew you wouldn't know the answer. I just, yep. I just wonder aloud at it. You know, like, I assume they're heavily made up to go on television. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they are. So do they, <laughs> so here's what I want to know. And I mean, I'd love to just know the answer to this. Do the, does the makeup person like reapply the, the ash cross after they make them up, which wouldn't be right, but, 
I wonder if that's what they do. It's deep questions. It's a, these are the hard questions. That's yeah. right. Okay. <laughs> well, have a good night, Christian. Later in the hour, we're going to see how you voted on a uh, a more important question about uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. That's our JR poll. 210-599-5555. You can join the show. Uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, I want to play you something the mayor of Philadelphia said. Now, he's he's the mayor of a city that has just had a police officer actually a Temple University officer, uh, killed in the line of duty. And um, so Jim Kenney, the mayor, holds a news conference, and he says this about gun control and backing the police. Cut number four. Gun reforms that will protect our city's residents, including the brave men and women who have taken an oath to protect the peace. You can say you back the blue, but if you don't back gun control and gun availability, you don't back the blue. If you don't back gun control, you don't back the blue. Um, you know, every one of these cities is, in a way, the same. They all have uh, big Democratic Party machine mayors. They are all awash in crime or setting records. They all kind of come out and do the same virtue signaling thing. I mean, he comes out wearing his Ukraine pin. And he's talking about a police officer being killed by a thug. And it's always everyone else's fault but the people who did the killing. It's always, we don't have enough gun laws. And it's society. And it's the climate of hatred. And it's, you know, I mean... If you can't say what we know it is, then just don't say anything. He says you can't back the blue unless you back gun control. Do you agree with that? 210-599-5555. I mean, clearly that makes no sense. And then I sort of took that to mean, well, is he saying that police officers, law enforcement men and women, they really want gun control? And I think that's funny because we've had a lot of police officers call this show over the years. I mean, just as we've had people in all different walks of life call. And I used to have a lot of them call at night. When we were on at night, we would get even more uh, calls from, from men and women who were in law enforcement. And unless I'm remembering wrong, and I could be, I don't think I've ever had a caller who was, who identified as a, as a law enforcement person, police, sheriff's department, whatever, former, retired, and said, you know, my experience has led me to believe we need gun control laws. We need to we need to open up the hood on that Second Amendment and pull some wires. In fact, I've actually had people say, we need more self-reliant citizens. We we need people to know that their responsibility their their safety is their responsibility. They need to understand we can come when they call us, but we're not going to be there when the home invasion goes down. We're not going to be there when the attempted mugging goes down. We're not going to be right there when they come to carjack your car. That, that's not how it works. That may have, that may be how we, we imagine it should work, but that isn't how it works. So as far as I can remember, as far back as I can remember, when I would talk to people in law enforcement, they were, they were pretty ardent on the Second Amendment. I don't know where the mayor of Philadelphia is getting this. 
and it just sounds kind of stupid. It also sounds stupid to me when I hear politicians who are not enforcing current gun laws say that we need more of them. And I know there's a lot of theories about why people want gun control, and I'm not here to tell you what my theory is or, or if your, your theory is right or your theory is wrong. There's all kinds of conspiracy ideas and, you know, connect the dots and it's for, it's, it's for control and it's for tyranny. It's for one world government. It's for, but, but I do know this. One of the easiest explanations for politicians that, that virtue signal on this issue is just that, you know what? Law abiding gun owners are an easy target because you can just blame them and they're not apt to say anything. They're not going to riot. They're not going to demonstrate. When's the last time you saw a pro-Second Amendment riot? When's the last time you saw an NRA riot? See, they're an easy group to blame because they take it and because, as I've said before, there's, there's, a, there's a certain percentage of us, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be critical, but there's a certain percentage of people that are afraid of guns. It depends on what part of the country you're in. In some places, it's much higher. Down here, it's much lower. But when you start talking about those crazy NRA people, that sounds right to people that are afraid of guns and have never handled one, never had one, don't know anybody that owns one or carries one. That sounds right. They're like, yeah, there's just too many of them. So the politicians know what they're doing. It's it's stupid and it's kind of savvy at the same time. We get your thoughts on that. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. The West Virginia legislature says that um, they're going to allow on campus carry. Um, and uh, this is headed to the desk of the governor, who says he'll sign it. So they're saying that if you have a concealed carry permit in West Virginia, uh, you should be able to carry on most parts of college campuses, excluding certain specific locations, um, but most places, most public places. I don't know. That, that sounds right to me because I, I don't know why we would treat college campuses as if they were daycares. They're adult places. Th- th- these are adults. If you want to say gun-free zone because we don't want guns around kids, I, I don't. I don't agree with that either. But that's a different argument, uh, and it shouldn't apply to a college campus. I think that's a smart thing to do. I, I. I don't like the fact that we've had shootings on college campuses, but I don't see how preventing a person or people from defending themselves or deterring it is a bad thing. I really don't. Tell me what you think. 210-599-5555. The mayor of Philadelphia in the wake of a, of a police shooting says, you can't back the blue if you don't back gun control. Jonathan is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Jonathan, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Good. So you agree with the mayor? I do. How so? Well, if you take that part of the equation off, then ultimately they have to deal with that less, the gun violence. And if you have gun control, some sort of gun control, which nobody knows what kind of gun control is needed or wanted, 
But if you come to terms with some sort of gun control, then you're going to take that part of the equation out of these men and women and anybody who comes across the gun violence themselves. But officers involved with that will do. When you say it's going to take that out of the when when you say it's going to take that out of the equation, I'm not sure I understand what you mean. Do do you mean that? You mean the criminals? Do you mean the criminals won't use? You don't have to be a criminal. Can I just ask you? Can I, can I just ask you, okay, hang on, let me just ask you a question. Go ahead. No, you don't have to be a criminal to use a gun, obviously. But are you saying that if we have more gun laws, criminals won't use guns? No, that's not the case. I think... Well, then how will that take it out of the equation? Thing. Then how would that well, take it out of the equation? Say, I grew up in a... I'm, I'm 46 years old, so I guess I'm the product of America, right? Uh, you have massive amounts of weaponry that is being manufactured daily and sold daily versus when I was a kid. The options for firearms were very limited considered what they are today. That's really not, that's really not true, but okay. Keep going. That's not true? No, that's not true. I can go to actually, actually, Jonathan, go right actually, Jonathan, like I'm a little older than weapons. you, so I'll just tell you that the truth is guns were more ubiquitous and could be carried legally and were carried in more places than they are today. We have more gun control today than we did than we did on the day that that's you were born. So, well, now that is what you just said. You said that there's no, far more the of them available. Of you just said that. Guns is, no, no, no. The availability of options of firearms has increased tremendously. You can go to, there's many, many, many gun stores all over town, all over the United States. I live in Texas, of course, and we're big on guns. There are fewer, there are fewer gun retailers in America today than there were in the early 1990s, Jonathan. Is that a fact? Yes. And you're okay. Well, you're saying that's a fact, so I'm going to agree with you. That's well, I, I, here's what I'm trying. Here's what I'm trying to get my head wrapped around, though. Here, here's the big picture: criminals break laws. Sure. I'm a so when you make I'm a sorry. law that says thou shalt not carry a gun here or or have this kind of a gun, uh, you're 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 assuming that a criminal will curb himself or or limit himself in order to comply with the law, which would be a good thing if that's what they did, but that's Absolutely clearly not, not. what you do if you are going Absolutely to commit a crime. Not. That is absurd to think that. It's absurd to think well, that. Well, you said, that I criminal, believe at the beginning of your you, call, that it, hold, hold on, I, I want to understand. I don't carry a weapon. I, I want to, you're a criminal and you don't carry a weapon? I'm a felon. I am a felon and I do not carry a weapon. Okay. Th I've used not, them before. Th that is, that has nothing shot. to do with what I'm trying. What I'm trying to ask you is, what makes you think a person who wants to commit a crime will say, "Oh, but I better not because there's a law against me having this gun." That ain't gonna happen. Why do you even say that? That's ridiculous. You said we need more gun control laws to yeah, take that element out of law enforcement. You no, said that. You're missing it. Take the gun. No, 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 Jonathan. You know what your problem is, pal. You know what your problem is. You. I keep repeating back to you what you've said, and it sounds no, you're crazy to you because it is crazy to you. No, I'm repeating back to you what you're saying, and it sounds it doesn't sound right, does it? You need to listen to yourself. Okay, what is it you want me to listen to that I'm saying? That is absurd. I keep repeating back to you what you've said, and you're saying, oh, that's crazy. Say it again. Say it again. You said at the beginning of your call 
that if we had more gun control laws, that would take the element of police officers having to deal with guns. You would remove it or, or, or reduce the frequency of it. That's what you said at the Correct. beginning of your call. Correct. Correct? Correct. I just challenged you on that by saying that by definition, if somebody has decided to, to commit a crime, they are not, they are not going to limit themselves by what the law tells them they can or cannot do. They're already deciding to break the law. They're going to rob a bank or they're going to steal a car. There's already a law against that. They're not limited by that. It doesn't deter them. So they're not going to be deterred by your new or additional gun laws either. What part of that can you not get? I understand it, and I completely get it. What don't you get about me understanding you? What you just said? I don't know what you're saying. And now, now you're now you're just babbling. I repeated no, back I'm to not, you what I'm you said, and you, and you told me, and you told me that's what you that said. To me. And I told you that makes no sense. No, you're not making any sense. No, you don't want to hear my sense. You don't. Have I've been listening reason. to it for five minutes, and it doesn't it doesn't add okay. up. Gun control. Take the weapons. Take the want for weapons out of the mm-hmm. equation. If there's mm-hmm. not as many mm-hmm. weapons, then mm-hmm. they will not be used. You don't have to I be a you. criminal to cross that line. Once you cross that line, you are a criminal. Many officers mm-hmm. shoot people. So are you saying that, that, that the available, are you saying, after. Jonathan, Jonathan, calm down, calm down. Are you, you saying, I want to understand you, this. Well, are you saying that the availability of guns creates criminals? What? Are you saying that if there are more guns, there will be more people who choose to do criminal acts? Is that what you're saying? Absolutely not. I don't even know okay. how I'm you done. I'm done. I'm all done here. I'm all done here. You're, you're making absolutely no sense at all. I, if someone can explain it to me, if I was misunderstanding him or mishearing him, uh, by all means, help me out. 210-599-5555. I, I don't buy the argument that gun control, as it is defined by politicians is a deterrent to people whose intentions are to take my stuff or hurt me or hurt my family or rob a business. Because in the commission of those crimes, the gun is a tool, and it gives them an advantage over whoever they are victimizing. So in the end, when you make more laws... Those laws really only apply to people who are trying to comply with the law. Well, you're trying to comply with the law. You don't want to get in trouble. You don't want to get a fine. You don't want to see your name on television or or in print. Same thing with me. If there's a new law, I need to understand it so I don't run afoul of it because that's how I live and that's how you live. But the person that's going to steal your car tonight doesn't live that way. They're not limited by those things. The person that wants to go and massacre kids at a school so that he can have 15 minutes of fame, he's not deterred by those things. We know this because he walks right by the sign that says, insultingly, gun-free zone. If these things worked, they'd be working now. And by the way, in every major city, Philadelphia included, there is a much more rigorous regimen of gun laws than there is in the nation at large. Yet all of our major cities at the moment tonight are cesspools of gun crime. If they can't prove it in the places where they have unfettered power, why should we try it anywhere else? That's my question. You can say you back the blue, but if you don't back gun control and gun availability, you don't back the blue. Philadelphia, Jim Kenney, after they had a um, 
Temple University police officer killed uh, a few nights ago um, and uh, was shot several times by a carjacker. Uh, the mayor came out and said, look, we, we don't want your support of the blue. You can't say you back the blue unless you support uh, gun control. Now, I made the point that in listening to, and, and I, I have no law enforcement experience, but I've listened to the people that have called this show over the years who are current or former law enforcement officers. I cannot recall, honestly, a single one of them who thought the answer was more laws. I do recall that many, not all, felt the answer was more people having training, familiarity, confidence, self-reliance, self-defense, which is the opposite of gun control. It says that we are a safer society when we are harder to make victims of, when we are harder targets. 210-599-5555. Brian is on the radio. Brian, good evening. Oh, hi, Jack. Thanks for taking my call. Um, Just for the record, you know, I agree with you. I do think that, uh, you know, society would be safer if, if everyone who at least knew how to use a firearm safely was armed. Um, I, I actually feel like it's your moral imperative to be doing, to like carrying a firearm of some sort, at least for the sake of other people. Um, but I do, you know, to redeem the other caller's argument a little bit, uh, I think his name was John. I, I think what he was trying to, the point he was trying to make was that if you had increased gun control laws, you would decrease the availability of guns. And, you know, regardless of whether or not a criminal wanted to use a gun to commit a crime, they just wouldn't have access to them. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. Well, uh, let's, you know, let's, I, let's look at that. I mean, let's, let's talk about that. So if you remember when we had prohibition, you could still get alcohol, but you had to buy it from criminals, not licensed uh, establishments or sellers. When we had uh, the war on drugs, you could still get any kind of drug in any on any street corner in any American city, uh, but you bought it from criminals. So when you have gun control, you'll still buy guns uh, if you want them, and if you don't comply with or can't comply with the law, let's say you're not eligible under the law to buy a gun, say you're a felon like the caller was, you will buy it from a criminal. You won't stop the availability of guns. You will you will just change the availability for law-abiding people. I may have a harder time getting one at Academy, but the criminal won't have a harder time getting one in a, in a back alley. Do you see my point? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I agree with you, but I think he was having a hard time illustrating that, you know, I think he did believe that it would reduce the availability. Overall. Oh, I know he believed that. But, I mean, that's like saying that, we all get our guns the same way, that a law-abiding NRA member gets his gun the same way a carjacker gets his. And that's, that's, that's ludicrous. We know that's not true. Yeah, but, well, there might be a marginal effect on it. Like, let's say for like, a high school student or some kid that would actually buy his gun at, say, Academy or Walmart or whatever, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. would be somewhat deterred mm-hmm. if he had to go to the black market, let's say, to access mm-hmm. the gun. Um, but but sure wouldn't that marginal effect, Brian, wouldn't that marginal, I'll give you that, okay, but wouldn't that marginal effect also apply to the, to the thing you said at the start of your call, and, and again, since I'm misquoting everybody tonight, you tell me if I get this wrong, but I think you said you believe we would be safer 
if more people who were able and willing were armed. Did you say that? Yes, absolutely. So are you not, if you make gun um, availability more limited, are you not also limiting them, which, according to you, would not be for the betterment of society? Yeah. Oh, no, you would be. And I, 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 would, I would argue that, yeah, it's not worth the cost. But, you know, like I said, the marginal increase or the marginal decrease, rather, of, yeah. you know, these, these, like, let's say, mass school shootings or something like that. Now everyone's got to pay the price because they can't defend themselves in order to... Well, and it's even, it even, it's even worse than that, because as I'm sure you know, once you start passing these gun control laws, you're letting politicians cherry pick who can and who cannot, say, have a permit. That is very dangerous when you have politicians that are picking winners and losers anyway. When you have people that are valuing certain citizens over certain others, uh, when, when you see the weaponization of government, um, I do not want to put the power in the hands of a corrupt machine politician as to whether or not I can defend my my household. That that's a very de- that means my opinion will determine whether or not I have that privilege. When right now it's a right. So I, I think we have to stay away from that entire. No matter how seductive it is to you or to the previous caller, I, I think that entire line of thinking is in, is incredibly dangerous. And once you were living under it, I think you would hate it. Oh yeah, I agree. I agree with you. I've read 1984. You know, I know. I know that. I I I definitely would not be willing to sacrifice. You know, the general population having access to guns for the sake yeah. of those few criminals yeah. that might not be. Deterred. I I agree with you, but I'm just trying to like like I said. I think the other caller was trying to suggest that you know having decreased access to guns would would be worth the trouble. I don't agree with that, mm-hmm. but okay. I, and I, think okay. Made, I think you made your point well. That's, I guess, what I'm trying to say. Brian, I appreciate your, I appreciate your call. I appreciate your viewpoint, and thank you for for helping him out or or clarifying. Maybe I guess clarifying what he was saying. I, I don't know if I agree that that's what he was saying because again, I I do find there is a um, for people that that start with the position of I want more gun laws or there are too many too many damn guns in this country, they will then. Um, sort of believe in fairy tales. You know, they will believe that past mass killers, they, they have this mythology that whether it was the Columbine killers or the Uvalde killer or the Sutherland Springs or, or any of these, they, they have this, this fantasy that those people just wouldn't have done it or people like them wouldn't do it. You know, I sit here every day with a front row seat to the depravity of the human condition, and I'm telling you, for every one of those people that maybe wouldn't have done it, the other nine or 19 would have and will. And the proof of that is that in the places in this country that have the most restrictions, the most hoops, the narrowest keyhole through which legal guns can be purchased, you have the most crime, the most gun crime. And that shouldn't be the case if there's even a scintilla of validity to that argument.
coming up, we're going to see how you voted on the JR poll. So I've lived in Texas, uh, this year will be 29 years. And everything I know about guns, I've learned here and from you. That's the truth. Um, I came from a part of the country where gun ownership is much rarer. I grew up in one of those families. I've, I've talked about this. We didn't have a gun. We didn't know anybody that had a gun. I'd never handled a gun. Uh, and a lot of people up there are afraid of guns. And you would be too if you'd never touched one, been around one, etc. Just like there are some people that aren't afraid of tigers because they handle them and they're with them every day, but you and I would be we would be a little bit scared to be face-to-face with a tiger. So I also know that when we talk about this stuff, there's an old saying, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? I understand there are people, and I have good friends and family members and people I love who really believe we must have more gun laws. We've got to get guns out of this country. We've got to have far fewer guns. It's got to be much harder to own one. There are just too many of them. And the availability of guns is is the reason crimes are committed and, and, and these shootings happen. As we are having this discussion tonight, there's a breaking news story out of Orlando. This is This is a very sick situation. There was a shooting in Orlando. The media showed up, and from early reports, and this is all just coming in, it appears that the killer has killed one of the television reporters covering the shooting in Orlando, Florida tonight. This is a developing story. So I understand that there are people who look at this stuff and go, it's insane, Uh, this is scary, I'm scared. My point is, I, I get you, but my point is there's something scarier than that. And what's scarier than that is fewer people who are law abiding, whose instincts are to defend and protect people like you and me, not being able to get guns, while the criminal or the would be killer will still have his or her gun. Because that's the reality of this approach. Sure, there are people who one day go out and buy a gun and, and, and shoot up a place. I, I know that that happens. I, I understand that. And, and I understand the temptation of thinking, well, we just need more laws. But, but I am interested in what's making people kill and prey on innocence in the first place. And I will give you your interest in gun laws, but you've got to show me you're interested in the human condition. What's happened to the soul of this country? What's happened to, to its young people? What's, what's, as, as, uh, Nicola Hood likes to say, what has seared their consciences? Because we always had guns, but we didn't have this. It is a problem. I'm not saying it isn't. Things aren't great. I'm not saying they are. But I, I am much more afraid of, of the quick fix the politicians are promising us because the only thing I know will happen if they get their way, if Jim Kenney and people like him get their way, the only thing I know for sure will happen is they will have more power. And they will start 
rewarding and punishing and treating this as a privilege rather than as a right. They've, they've demonstrated they are unable to stem the crime in the places over which they have total control. In cities where they have total control, where there is no political opposition, they're making all the rules, they get their way, they're practically dictators. Crime is rampant. People are afraid. People are leaving those cities. Imagine how bad it would have to be for you to say, that's it, I've seen my last news story about a carjacking, we're leaving, we're moving. So that's, that's where I'm coming from. And it's not, it, it isn't that I have made up my mind and I refuse to listen. It, it really is that I think too many people are putting too much faith in another law. One more law, just one more. And it's okay for politicians to act this way because laws are their, you know, the coin of the realm. But we're real people, right? We have to, we have to look at what really makes people tick, what really motivates. We've got to be honest with ourselves. There is something wrong in a society where young people come out of the basement and decide to kill everybody at school. That is not a gun problem. That's a, that's a human problem. That's a soul problem. Now, you can say, well, all right, Jack, that was uh, nice of you to say, but what are you going to do about it? I'm not saying I have the answer. I'm saying let's be honest about the problem. And if we agree that that is the problem, or part of it at least, the politicians can't do anything about that. All right, on the JR poll, we asked you about Vivek Ramaswamy, the businessman, uh, entrepreneur, commentator, says he's a candidate for president in 2024. Uh, where are you on Vivek Ramaswamy? We asked, 48% said who? So he's, you know, he's got a ways to go there. Uh, 30% said no. 16% said maybe, and 6% said yes. New JR poll question tomorrow at 4. Find it anytime at ktsa.com. And you can find our show anytime at ktsa.com. There's a whole episode podcast of last night's show, the day before that, the day before that. This show will be up there in a couple of hours, whole thing. So you can listen at night. You can catch a bunch of shows together. Would that be binge listening? I don't know call it that uh but we're a podcast as well as a live uh, radio show this is the um anniversary of what some people would say and I, I i can't say they're wrong some people would say this was the greatest moment in american sports history it was the 1980 winter olympic games at lake placid new york your announcer is al michaels this happened on this day in 1980. Now Petrov controls. Back to Parlamov. Skating in on the left side. Into the American end. 55 seconds. But Mikhailov has the puck. Mikhailov sweeping in. Out in front. Backhander goes wide. And Nick Craig might have got just a piece of it. Mikhailov. Back out to Billy Legendov. 43 seconds remaining. Morrow. Check into the boards. It comes back to center ice. 38. 37 seconds left in the game. Petrov with it. The Americans on top, four to three. Long shot. Craig able to get a piece of it to sweep it away. 28 seconds. The crowd going insane. Carlemont shooting it into the American end again. Morrow is back there. Now Johnson. 19 seconds. Johnson over to Ramsey. Big Alexanov gets checked by Ramsey. McClanahan is there. The 
Hunt is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! That was Team USA hockey, which back then was just collegiate players. Uh, a lot of guys from the northeastern United States and the upper Midwest, uh, collegiate players facing down the the titans of Soviet hockey and besting them in a game. I think the final score was 4-3, to three, but it was the miracle on ice. See you back here tomorrow.